Will you bow your heads with me one more time as we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we just ask now that you silence all of the distractions in our hearts and our minds, that you would help us to be present to your word, to your spirit. Father, we pray that as we read your word and as we read what's been true for thousands of years, that your spirit would use it in a way to continue to shape and transform us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, we continue our series as we march towards Resurrection Sunday, where we are reminded once a year, uh, well, in a special way, that Christ is risen indeed. And so as we prepare ourselves for this, generally the Christian church at large has kind of taken this time as a time of kind of repentance and of of just kind of thoughtfulness and, and just really thinking about where is it in my life currently, what are those things that are getting in the way of truly worshiping and following God? And so this seven-week period and the seven-week series is we're looking at the sins of our fathers and mothers that we find in the book of Genesis and Exodus. And we're looking at these stories of Bible heroes, these people that we point to as heroes of our faith, to see that even though they are the heroes of our faith, they, were still, they still made plenty of mistakes and they still made plenty of sins and what we can learn from them so that we can become closer to this relationship, this life-giving relationship with God. And so this morning we're going to be looking at the story of the Tower of Babel. And it's a story that all of you, if you've ever been a part of church growing up, it's a story we know well. But one of the things I'm reminded of every time I read, especially Genesis and Exodus, have any of you noticed as you've been reading through the Bible that the stories that you're reading have a lot less detail than you remember them? Have any of you noticed that? No? Yes? Some of you? I've noticed that when we're coming through some of these stories, I, I picture them in my mind as these, you know, big, elaborate, kind of Hollywood-type movies with all of these fanciful details. And then when we come to it, it's like, oh, it doesn't say all the stuff that I thought it said. And that's important for us because it, it forces us to really look at what is the story saying Especially when we look at a story like the Tower of Babel. Most of you are like, yeah, we already know that story. They started to build a tower, and then God scattered them. What's, what can we really learn from a story like that? But what I found in preparing for this message is that there are at least five sermons worth of stuff to preach through. But we only have about 30 minutes, so I'm going to jump into this and see how far we can get. So, we're going to invite you to open up your Bibles. The red Bible in front of you is, is what I'm actually uh, quoting from, the New International Version this morning. Uh, there will be a page number, I think, um, so you can follow along, and it will be up on the screen as well. And so we begin with Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it's page 7 in your Bible. And this is how the story begins. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech, and men moved eastward. They found a plain in Shinar and settled there. When when we look at this, for, for some of us, it's just like, okay, they were going eastward, and that was it. But one of the important things to note about this word, this sense that, they, that the Bible writer is telling us that they moved eastward, if you remember back a couple of chapters, Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, where were they moved when they were in the Garden of Eden? God, uh, he exported them out of the Garden of Eden. Where did he export them to? To the west? To the east. 
When Adam and Eve are given their punishment, part of that punishment is that they would go east of Eden. Cain and Abel then come onto the scene, and when Cain gets his punishment for murdering his brother, where does the Bible say that he went? East, to the land of Nod, to the land of wandering. And now we come to Genesis 11, and again, the same exact word in the Hebrew is used. And it says that as men began to grow, they had one common language, and they settled where? East. So the understanding that we come to with Scripture is that when we talk about this place east of Eden, what the Bible writer is trying to tell us is that that is the place where things aren't the way God intended them to be. East of Eden is the reality where things are out of harmony with the way God created things to be. And it's also going eastward is also this understanding or this reality where men and women are continually wanting to do things their way instead of doing the things the way God intended them to be. East of Eden represents the punishment of our original parents. And in many ways, we still live in a land that is east of Eden. Maybe not geographically, but the reality of the world that we live in is filled with themes and stories of Old Testament where there are stories of, of decay and of death east of Eden. That's where the first murder occurred. That's where our original parents were punished and sent to. East of Eden is where there, there is betrayal and malice and envy. East of Eden is where people can act hellishly, and things, in fact, are hellish. East of Eden is where we find our brother, Kurt. For those of you who are visiting us, Kurt um, had a double lung transplant about a year and a half ago, and, and now they're having complications, um, and he's our head elder. And so it's moved a lot of our church in, in ways we weren't really expecting. East of Eden is our family members being in the ICU, East of Eden is relationships falling apart. It's losing jobs. It's things not going the way they're supposed to. And so we live in this reality east of the Garden of Eden. But more than that, the narratives in the book of Genesis is that east of Eden is where men and women go to try to find happiness and goodness outside of the way God wanted them to. So East of Eden represents the life that we live now. And so with this, with this in mind, we want to continue because you're going to see where this is going to come full circle in just a few moments. So these men that went eastward and settled in this valley of Shinar, they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. So they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us Build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Let us, let us, let us. Where in this narrative do they say, if it is God's will? You see, part of the first sin here is that they instantly excluded God out of their plans. It was led us under our own power, our own might, our own understanding, our own insight. Let us build this city and let us build a tower that reaches to the heavens. This way we will not be scattered and we will make a name for ourselves. And so we look at the first part of this in the tower. 
Now, this tower, we don't really know what it looks like necessarily, but if you've ever seen any kind of movies with kind of Mesopotamian-type things, or if you ever saw the cartoon, The Road to El Dorado, one of my, my favorite movies, I still believe it exists. No, it doesn't, I really don't. But The Road to El Dorado is about the lost city, and in this city, there's these two cartoon characters, and they, the, the indigenous people think that they're gods, and so they allow them to go up to this tower or this ziggurat, and at the top of the ziggurat, it looks something like this. And at that very top, there was a room. Think of it as like a penthouse suite. Think of it as like the very best of the best. So the ziggurats in the, in the ancient times, what they were for, they weren't for temple worship. But rather, they, they would build these up. There was nothing inside. It was just dirt or brick or whatever it was because it was different than the pyramids. But at the very top, the people would then make, a, like, a, like I said, like a penthouse suite with everything a god could want. These towers were built so that their gods would come down and inhabit the top of the ziggurat. Now, the god would never come down, and humans weren't necessarily allowed up there. So what the people are doing here in Babel is they're building this tower because they want God to come down to them. They want God to come down, and they want to provide God with all the goodness that the land can provide for them. So the first mistake is they wanted to do things for themselves. The second mistake is that they thought that they could actually manipulate God into doing favors for them if only they built a big enough and beautiful enough tower for God to inhabit. They felt that they could make it so beautiful that God would be happy there. Which brings us to the Reader's Theater that we just read this morning that Amanda put together for us. How often do we think that the better we are, the more God will be happy with us? We do that all the time, right? And there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's, I mean there, that's what we think and that's how we live. When you go to school, the harder you work, what happens? Ideally, you get better grades, and the better grades you get, the more scholarships you get. And the more scholarships you get, the better schools you can get into. The better schools you get into, ideally, the better job that you'll have when you come out of school. If you're good to your wife and your husband, the happier they will be. If you work hard at your job, the idea is that you will get a promotion and that you will make more money. And so we live in this world where what you do and what you produce gives you value. But God doesn't need any of that. What we read from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the end of Scripture is that God doesn't need anything from us. God already has everything. If our behavior was the meter by which God showed us his love, we would all feel very unloved. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we are sinful, wretched people. Now, I know some of you are saying, maybe you, Pastor, but I try to be a good person. But even on our best day, even when you're trying hard, we tend to make mistakes. We tend to treat people badly. So when we come back to the story of the Tower of Babel, these people thought that by making God a beautiful home, that somehow God would then give them a blessing and watch over them. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. 
the past 10 chapters in the book of Genesis has been story after story after story of God providing and blessing these people that didn't deserve it. The story of Adam and Eve isn't that they were sinful and that they messed up everything for us, because if it wasn't them, listen, it would have been someone else. But the key to that story is that God provided a covering for them. Last week, it, 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 it moved me in a certain kind of way. We preached about Cain and Abel and how Cain had um, murdered his brother and he was sent away. And usually that's the story that we tell. So if you don't give the right amount or if you don't live a certain way or if you don't act a certain way, then you are going to be punished and you are going to be sent even further east of Eden. But the point of that story isn't that. The point of the story of Cain and Abel is that Cain deserved to die. That should have been his punishment. And yet God, in his greatness and love and mercy, he gives him grace. And I had a handful of people tell me, I, I never heard the story like that. And in my mind, it was like, that's the whole point of the story. And I wouldn't say it broke my heart because that's a little dramatic but that bothered me because my question is, what have we been preaching all these years then? If we don't preach the grace of God weekly, then we're not preaching the gospel. Now remember, we went through like four months of Romans and we're going to get back to it. And it's all about God's grace. And if you haven't been here with us, we invite you to listen because it's not just, well, everything is done for us so we can live however we want. That's not what it means. But when we come back to the story of the tower... These people thought that they could manipulate God by their good works, by their good acts. And if they did good enough, then God would be forced to be good back to them. But the truth is, is that that's not really how life works. The truth is, is that when we are prideful and when our ego directs us, the Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty or a boastful spirit before the fall. These people were acting arrogantly and boastfully, thinking, thinking that they could, in a sense, outthink God, please God, manipulate God, so that God would then come down and take care of them. Now remember, what was the story for 10 points, right? Extra credit points. The story right before this. What was the story right before this? Who is this a story of? Yeah, the flood just happened, and this is the story of Noah's sons. Okay, these guys had just seen the work of God. They had literally seen God save them from, the, from an impossible situation. He kept them alive in a boat. He kept them afloat. They were the only people to survive. This is their story. They saw God work in a mighty way, and yet they kept forgetting what God did because they wanted to do things their own way. Because they thought that if they could just plan well enough, things would turn out well. They were trying to make a name for themselves. They were trying to become a great and a mighty people and a mighty nation. So they said, instead of us going and multiplying across the whole world, let us just gather our resources, come together, live in one city, and then we will be strong. But is that what God wanted them to do? I don't think I have this here in my notes, but if you were to go to Genesis chapter 10, Oh, yeah, here it is. Here, let me read one more verse, and then we'll get there. But the Lord came down, talking about the Tower of Babel, to see the city and the tower, the ziggurat that men were building. 
The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Now, when God comes down, it makes him sound kind of like a a capricious God. Like, come on, God, like, is your ego that big? Why do you have to come and mess up their plans? When you go to a job interview, what's one of those things that interviewers want to hear? I've never, oh, I have interviewed people, but one of the things I look for when I'm interviewing our intern youth pastors, I want to make sure that they work well with others. The Tower of Babel, they decided to pull their resources together and work well with others. What is wrong with that, God? I thought you want us to get along and love each other and work well together. But here's the, what they seem to forget, and I didn't put this in here. In Genesis chapter 10, this is what God tells Noah's sons. He says, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky. On every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase and fill it. God's command to the children of Noah was for them to multiply, increase, and inhabit the whole world. Because God knew that there would be blessing in that. God knew, especially in ancient times, the more children you had, the better things were. But instead of them following this command of multiplying and increasing and filling the whole world, instead they decided not to do what God wanted them to do, but rather to stay together. So you see, God wasn't being mean. But what he was actually doing is he was saving them from themselves. You see, sometimes in our lives, God has to intervene even in the best laid plans to open you up for an even greater blessing. The Israelites, or at this time they weren't Israelites yet, but Noah's sons, they were trying to do things their way because they thought it was the best way, but God had a greater blessing for them. God had something more for them, but they would not have been able to realize that had they stayed in this small city. First, they try to manipulate God. They try to do things on their own. But God intervened because he wanted to bless them in a more special way. And so then God has this conversation in in what we call this Trinitarian language, right? Because who's God talking to when he says, come let us? Perhaps it's somehow God speaking to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Maybe he's speaking to the angels. We're not really sure. But it says, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. God stopped their plan. He stopped them from sabotaging themselves because he wanted to give them a blessing of being fruitful and multiplying and fulfilling and filling the whole earth. And I think that's the last slide. No. This is why it is called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole world. God had to put them back on track. God had to take them back to the command and his wish to the sons of Noah to multiply and increase. 
because the more of them there was, the better things would be. He wanted them to get to the land that we call the land flowing with milk and honey, which was an Old Testament way of saying a land that will have all the goods that you need and desire. But the Israelites, you will see as we continue in this series, they kept going eastward. And instead of going towards the promised land, instead they went into Babylon and Egypt and eventually into slavery. Because sometimes, or oftentimes, when we follow our own way and we neglect the good God has for us, we will miss out on some of the blessings that God has for us. So this morning, I invite you and I encourage you for those of you who are planners. And and I used to be a really good planner. I I thought, you know, those kind of people with like three-year plans or a five-year plan. And it's like, okay, this is where I like to see my life. God has shown me that that's not how things work. So you still have to work hard. You still have to do your job. You still have to do all the things you're supposed to do. But more importantly is you have to be open to listen to where the Spirit of God is leading you. And when you sense that, you go with it. And I believe that if you're sensing wrong, God will still honor you because you're trusting that that is where the Lord is leading you. We see that all throughout Scripture. And so this morning, I leave you with that challenge, that you would try not to make towers for yourself, that you would not necessarily try to do things your own way, but that you would adopt a posture of prayer and openness to where God is leading you. It's not always going to be comfortable, You'll probably second-guess yourself a hundred times, but the blessing and the reward will outweigh all of that. Let us pray. Gracious God, we want to thank you that um, you've given us these stories, these stories that are a reminder that you not only love us, but you are providing for us. And so we pray that as we encounter life, as we encounter moments where we have self-doubt, as we encounter moments where we're not sure where you're leading, I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with a double portion of your spirit so that you would allow us to go boldly where you are calling us to go. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.